0: It's The Healthy Woman Show on WJR with Marie Osborne and Dr. Jonathan Zayden, presented by
1: Women's Excellence.
2: And welcome back to another edition of The Healthy Woman Show. I'm Marie Osborne, along with Dr. Jonathan Zayden of Women's Excellence. Dr. Zayden, I've been waiting a while to say this. Summer is just
1: about here. Oh my gosh, it's so glad to see good weather, right? We had such a tough spring with, uh, you know, it being kind of colder in the early part of the spring and rainy, of course, like always. But uh, finally, we've gotten some good days in a row, and it looks like it's uh, it's coming into, uh, into fruition now. So everything we wait for for seven to eight months in Michigan is all going to happen right now. And that's why we put this show together today. We wanted to talk about, you know, just summer health tips, you know, really towards women, you know, things like uh, skin care practices and stuff that, you know, things that we're doing at Women's Excellence because we know people want them.
2: And of course, we're going to have Susanna Marcoux of Urban Aesthetics joining us to talk a little bit about that. We'll also be joined by Allison Darnell. She's your executive director at Women's Excellence. Some new things happening at the office, we understand. So we're going to get the lowdown on that. And of course, we're going to be putting you on the hot seat, as we always do, for another round of Ask the Doc. So we're looking forward to the show, Dr. Zaden.
1: I look forward to it as well. I know Jessica's always got some questions for me that everybody out there wants to hear. I hear about it all the time in the office that they were listening to these questions and how do people ask them.
2: And we're going to get the answers for you when we come back here on the Healthy Woman Show on WJR. back to The Healthy Woman Show. I'm Maria Osborne with Dr. Jonathan Zaden of Women's Excellence Alongside and always trying to provide you with the information you need to live a better life. And as we're heading into the summer, Dr. Zaden, we've all been waiting for the great weather, We are anxious for the great weather to get here. Susanna Marcoux of Urban Aesthetics will be joining us in the next segment to talk about some of the details that we need to know about protecting our skin. But we wanted to talk with you first. Generally speaking, what we need to keep in mind as women for good health during the summer, you're always talking about heat protection, staying hydrated, just always, always, always talking about staying hydrated.
1: Hey, I'm going to start with this. The cup half full. The great weather is here, and we're 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 in it. And um, you know, hydration is one of these topics that. You know we talk about this all year long right because you know the truth is that you know the more hydrated you are it it helps you alleviate some of your own toxins right so you know people talk about drinking a lot of fluids all the time and in many diets and, and in many healthy regimens you know you'll see people walking around with very large water bottles and that mindset is that you should be drinking somewhere between 84 and 96 ounces of of water a day, I've you know every day, and you should be doing that. A lot of people say, "Well, I never do that." You'd be surprised. You probably drink more fluids than you you think. But the thing is, is that you have to think about the type of fluids you're putting in your body, right? Your body is is a mechanical structure. And it's no different than a car. If you put good things into it, 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 it gives you good things. But if you don't give it the, the nutrients it needs, it, it doesn't run very well. And so your body being the same, you just need to make sure that you're drinking basically non-caffeinated um, things where you don't want you drinking, you know, 96 ounces, which is literally, you know, if you think of a, 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 you know, a pop can or a soda can as being 12 ounces, we're talking seven to eight of these a day, even when you're not in a hot weather. And we're asking you to do maybe upwards to 10 to 14 of those a day if you're in super hot weather, such as you're on a beach. But we have to make sure that 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 hydration isn't only alcohol and caffeinated beverages, and it's actually hydration. You're actually getting the water you need and your body is getting that that hydration it needs. Because again, that helps you alleviate all your other toxins. And many times when people are outside, they're also very active, aren't they, Marie? Right? You know, they're you see them, they're outside, they're pushing Absolutely. their their boat, They're kayaking, they're on the beach, right? All of those are expending a lot of, of muscle, you know, energy and breakdown, right? And that all gets, all that gets filtered, you know, through your body via the hydration that you take out and what you expel in your urine. So you definitely wanna stay hydrated. So my my thought process on all of these things is, you know, drink about, you know, when it's hot out, drink, you know, at, at least, at least 120 to, you know, 132 ounces a day. And you know during your normal life even in the winter you should be drinking you know again about 7 to 8 um equivalents to a pop can right a, a day and and keep that up because that's going to keep your health better and make you feel better
2: and uh, so many, we we often joke, some women joke about having their own personal summer in the middle of December. We're talking about menopause, but it can be particularly thorny if you're going through menopause and those hot flashes in the summer, it makes it doubly
1: worse. I, I'm going to pick two topics here because menopause is such a voluminous topic. We could spend a whole show on menopause, but let's pick two things that we need to discuss. And then I think that people will understand that, at least for summer tips. Number one, if you're if you're truly menopausal and you're getting menopausal symptoms, a lot of times that results in insomnia. And when it's hot out in the summer and you're already tired and you can't sleep because you're still having hot flashes, that's very tough on people. So that's one reason to kind of really manage your menopause. And, you know, it's probably good to start managing it now before we get into, you know, late July, August and September, which are our hottest months. And then the the other item is, is that just in general throughout the day, if people are getting hot flashes and it's already you know, 85, 90 degrees, and they're outside, right, they they find that the part, you know, the part of the year here that they've looked forward to the most is interrupted, because they actually don't feel that good outside. This is a great time to kind of deal with menopause. And so, you know, we have people at Women's Excellence that take care of menopause. And there's, you know, many, many providers that take care of menopausal symptoms. I think this is a good time to kind of look into that and really start to pay attention to it. Because if you sleep better and you feel better when you're outside, obviously everything is better.
2: Absolutely. Um, Dr. Zaden, also another problem that seems to crop up more in the summer are yeast infections. And there's some things that we can do to avoid that.
1: I think the biggest thing in the summer with yeast infections really is you know, we see two things. We see a lot of hot tub use. I mean, you know, here in Michigan, I mean, you know, clearly you can use a hot tub all year round, but here in Michigan, we have a tendency to be out in our tubs, maybe not, you know, maybe they're not as hot. You know, a little bit more in the summer. Some people use them all winter long, but you know that that component, and then also just in and out of lakes and in and out of the water, and just the, the heat itself with moisture, that just causes more yeast infections and just and, and even more bacterial infections around the the vulvar and, and vaginal skin. So, you know, one of the biggest things that you can do about that is just make sure that you're you're treating it relatively, um, you know, expeditiously. Take a probiotic to keep the the bacteria in the vagina more healthy, and then make sure for sure that you're not wearing a bathing suit all day long if you can avoid it. You know, loose-fitting clothes and those types of things. I mean, you know, these are the things that we tell our kids all the time, but, you know, we kind of have to, you know, understand that that's something that we need to do as well.
2: So moms out there, remember, no bathing suit all day long. I know it's easy to do. (laughs)
1: Loose-fitting clothes and, and probiotics.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And just closing out this segment, Dr. Zaden, I know for a lot of people, you know, we go on vacation and so on, and you want to do things spontaneously. But if you have a bladder issue, it's trouble.
1: I got to tell you, um, you know, bladder, it, 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 interesting that you asked me this question, but, you know, bladder issues are, are, things that just, they bother people year round. This isn't a summer, uh, this is definitely not a seasonal problem, right? I mean, it can be worse in the winter, it could be worse in the summer. I think the difference in the summer is that we're so much more active in the summer and then people are embarrassed, right? If they can't do those activities, this is a good time to plan to get that stuff fixed for next summer. I mean, we're into summer, we could start that process, right? And start the work up now and then, you know, make sure you're fixed before the end of the year with your deductibles and so on and so forth from an insurance perspective. And then next summer, you don't have to worry about that. So if you're on a beach and you've heard this, you know, and you're, you're hearing this and you're starting to do your activities and you're knowing, Oh my God, I'm leaking. I got, you know, this, this is something that we can address and we can address it. You know, right now we can start the workups for it right now, because remember it takes two or three months to work you up sometimes, you know, uh, depending on what your schedule is. And then, you know, it takes time to heal and recover. So, you know, we'll, we'll prepare you for next, the next summer.
2: Thanks, Dr. Zaden, a lot of great information as always. When we come back, we'll be joined by Susanna Marcoux, the nurse practitioner at Women's Excellence and the head of Urban Aesthetics. She's got some great advice for keeping our skin in great shape this summer. Stay with us. back to the Healthy Woman Show. We're glad you could join us. Such a timely topic today. We're talking about summer skin care tips, things that we can all do to take care of our skin because it's so important to our general health, Dr. Zayden. I know you're always preaching about that.
1: Well, I think, you know, I'm going to defer a lot of the skin stuff to our specialists at Urban Aesthetics and 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 really let her get into more detail about what you can do for your skin and how to make that better.
2: And that is Susanna Marcoux of Urban Aesthetics. Hi, Susanna. We're so glad you could join us today. I know that you would really like to give our listeners some of the most important things that they have to remember as we all head out into the sun. I know we need to buy fresh sunscreen, get the hats ready, all that stuff. But let's talk
1: about sun exposure if we can a little bit. We did this show a while back, and and for any of our listeners, you could actually look that show up, and it was with uh, Wendy McFalda from one of the dermatology offices. And what she just talked about was really the absolute need for sunscreen. And the fact that you, you know, in many cases need to reapply, and that you should use water-resistant sunscreen as well, um, you know, just because most people that are out are, you know, sometimes in the water and back and forth. But you know, reapplication and making sure you're protecting your skin. Your skin is one of your biggest organs, right? And you need to make sure you're putting good protection on it. And I, you know, I would again defer every all the other aspects of, of all the cosmetic sides and all the things to take care of your skin to, to Susie, as she will tell you more. But one of the things that that Wendy really preached to us was protect against those UV rays and really help yourself because if you don't protect against those UV rays. You're damaging your skin. And then ultimately, it's really hard to get it back.
2: Susanna, you agree with that then, obviously, that once your skin is damaged by the sun, it's hard to regain it or to repair it. I absolutely agree with Dr. Zayden. You know,
3: um, one of the one of the most ironic things that I find in healthcare, and especially when we're looking at cosmetics and aesthetics and overall skin quality, is, you know, so many men and women, you know, we'll put our skin through the ringer, right? We'll go outside in, in freezing cold. Then come summertime, we'll be in 90, 95-degree heat. And so many people are not either applying sunscreen at all or they're uh, not applying it enough, or they're using the wrong SPF. Um, And this is a big, uh, I believe, um, underserving from either dermatology or aesthetic companies, you know, that we haven't in the past given them enough education. So the biggest thing that I tell patients is when we're looking at SPF, especially in the summertime, we need to think about what's commonly exposed, right? So whether you're wearing a tank top, whether you're wearing a shirt, your face is consistently exposed. We need to be looking at an SPF that's 30 or higher. That is the most ideal. And this should be also done in in the wintertime, I'm going to emphasize. But however, come in the summer, when we have higher degree of light, we're outside more, at least we can have that
2: protection. I'm always surprised at how much Uh, sunscreen you have to put on oh is it the the constant reapplying right well no and also the amount I've heard you have to put a shot glass on Uh, like the amount the in other words the amount you have to put on is a lot wait for the whole body perhaps but not for face. Yes, yes. Not for
3: the face. When we're looking at the face, and I tell patients too, you know, when we're choosing a sunscreen, you really want to base it off your skin type. So patients, you know, the easiest way to kind of differentiate this is you either have a more oily skin or you have a drier skin. When we're looking at dry skin in in the summertime, you want to pick a sunscreen. Again, that's Uh, SPF 30 or over, but also that maybe uh, has some hyaluronic acids in it or some ceramides. So you're actually hydrating your skin while you're going throughout the day. Um, And then for patients who are a little bit more on the oily side, choosing an SPF with a matte finish. Um, This will help not only with, you know, skin complexion over time, but also avoid breakouts and having excessively oily skin through the day.
2: Important is exfoliating your skin?
3: Very important. Very, very important. Um, if you care about your complexion, hyperpigmentation or tactile roughness. Um, so when we're looking to exfoliate your skin, um, I think there's an over, uh, an oversaturation of this on, you know, the over the counter market. And I think a lot of people get very, um, confused and a little intimidated, but you can really uh, you know, segment exfoliations into two parts, um, either a physical or manual exfoliation uh, or a chemical exfoliation. And these can be done at home in smaller degrees. So a physical exfoliation, you want to think of the sugar rub that you can buy over the counter. The biggest issue with this is patients will put a ton on their hand. And then they'll go, you know, they'll go crazy. You know, they'll get very, very rough, thinking that they're doing a great job, but actually, you can create um, small micro tears, and that can cause more inflammation. Um, it leaves access for bacteria. Um, so I tell patients, if you're gonna go the physical route, um, you need to, you know, do it in a clockwise or, or counterclockwise pattern, and it should be gentle. You you can do the physical exfoliation. Um, Three to four times a week, um, and that's typically pretty good. Um, my preferred route is actually more of the chemical exfoliation, where we focus more on alpha hydroxy acids or beta hydroxy acids. There are very small percentages of this that can be found over the counter. Again, they're not prescription grade, but you know this is something that can help. Where you know that micro tearing uh, complex is not an issue. Patients can gently wash. Um, and then, you know,
2: uh, rinse with water after. Well, guilty as charged about the person who's rubbing really hard. So, oh. yeah, don't do that. Everyone thinks it's great
3: for them, but it's 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 really, really not. If you know, when people are rubbing hard with these physical, um, with these more physical manual exfoliations, they're trying to get the hyperpigmentation out. They're trying to get the tactile roughness out, right? They they want to have the smoother looking skin. They want more collagen production. But this is why I say stick with a chemical exfoliant, focus on an alpha hydroxy acid or a beta hydroxy acid. And then you should be seeing a provider, hopefully through Urban Aesthetics, such as myself, where we can actually prescribe you um, a a prescription-grade retinol therapy that's made and authorized and
2: FDA-proven to help with those issues that you can use nightly. Susanna Marcoux is a nurse practitioner at Women's Excellence and the chief at Urban Aesthetics. And her medical background really is such an asset in answering some of these questions. Susanna, I know you really are a big proponent of hydrating both inside and out. Yes, so
3: again, it's the most simplest things when we're talking about overall health. You know, um when I talk to patients in office, whether it be um, the weight program or just for um, aesthetic standpoint for skin health and overall health and wellness, um, so many patients are barely drinking sixty ounces of water a day. I mean, we're barely getting that sometimes, right? But in truth, especially during the hotter months, it should be about 120 ounces. You'd be very, very surprised what being hydrated can do to your body um, as far as overall just complexion as well.
2: That's amazing to know that. Very quickly, because we only have a minute left. Can you quickly tell us uh, the AM, PM skincare regimen for women over 35? Just tell us very quickly, AM and PM.
3: Yes, you want to keep it very simple against again there's an oversaturation in information and products on the market and it can get, get very confusing um in the am what you want is a gentle am face wash with a hydrating cream of spf 30 or more for the summer and the winter um and then in the pm i would pro- recommend a chemical exfoliator um slash it, it, can, it can even be a gentle cleanser um as long as it has the alpha hydroxy acid base and then you want to use a a retinol or a prescription-grade tretinoin
2: cream at night. You are always a wealth of information, Susanna Marcoux. Thank you for joining us. She's a rock star, Dr. Zane. We're so glad that she's with you.
1: I'll tell you what, it's uh, it's nice because I can refer so many people, uh, you know, to that, that center of uh, women's excellence now that allows uh, people to get the kind of care that they need for this and they can do it in a kind of a more familiar setting and Susie does such a great job with them and we get a lot of a lot of kudos for her, for sure. So if people want skincare, they should really come and see her.
2: When we come back here on the Healthy Woman Show, we're going to open the mailbag or open the emails, as they say. We have asked the Doc as Women's Excellence Healthy Woman Show continues here on WJR. Welcome back to the Healthy Woman Show here on WJR, Dr. Jonathan Zayden, of course, joining us as always from Women's Excellence. And this is the part of the show that we always really enjoy because we get to hear questions right from our listeners and Dr. Zayden's patients. Joining us is Jessica Rousset, the Patient Outreach Coordinator at Women's Excellence. Hi, Jessica. What have you got for us this week?
0: Hi, good to be back. And we've got a lot of questions and some of them we've never even covered before. So I'm kind of excited about that. So I'll dive right in. The first one is, how do I know if I have a prolapse?
1: That's an interesting question because prolapse is just such a a, uh, undefined term, right? So, um, you know, there's a lot of things that can prolapse. Really what prolapse is, let me define it first. And then I think maybe I can uh, give people tips. So first, uh, a prolapse is where um, a, an organ is is not necessarily in the same location that it would normally be. So the uterus can come down into the vagina, the vaginal wall from the bladder perspective can prolapse into the vagina. We call it a cystocele. If the uterus, uh, you know, comes down into the vagina, we call that uterovaginal prolapse. And if the rectal wall prolapses into the vagina, we call that a rectocele. And if there, there's also a space where the small bowel can prolapse, and we call that an entroceal. So that's the doctor terminology. How do you know if you have that? Well, you could get you know basically bowel movement problems, bladder problems, or feel a bulging or a pressure in the lower pelvic uh, space, and maybe even feel something protruding through uh, the vagina that you notice when you're wiping or even if you're at times of activity may notice something protruding through. Those are really the signs of prolapse.
0: Okay. Next one is, are there any screenings for ovarian cancer?
1: You know this is a really hot topic. It's becoming more and more. There are some uh there are some testing for ovarian cancer, but there's really no true screening regimen at this time. It's more a function of if people are at higher risk, if we may provide them additional uh, screenings, and, uh, and if um, a patient already is found to have a mass, we have some testing that can give us statistical risk analysis on whether or not that patient should have that mass removed, for ovarian cancer. But there's no real FDA approved regimen. What we're typically what we've typically used in the past is a little bit closer surveillance. Maybe ultrasounds twice a, a year, just to look at the ovarian structures, and then also uh, we use some blood testing uh, twice a year, which can be controversial but still helpful
0: okay. are there um are there any symptoms that you should look out for with like ovarian
1: cancer it's It's mostly people that that get it a lot of them are. Asymptomatic, and it's an unfortunate disease because it's it it you know really is a deadly disease, right? We all know that. I think anybody that's heard of somebody that's gone through ovarian cancer, uh, but the the probably the biggest symptom that people come in with is bloating, um, you know, feeling a pressure, uh, maybe even um, some discomfort but not always because the abdomen is a relatively large structure so the ovary can grow within that space you don't always get pain from it and that's that's why it's such a difficult um disease to detect and we just don't have a great screening regimen for it and that's that's another reason we've we've almost eradicated cervical cancer in places where we use you know really strict screening regimens because we have pap testing and HPV testing but we just don't have those types of defined tests for ovarian cancer. Plus, we find ovarian cancer in in many times a greater stage, meaning that we may find cervical cancer in uh, an abnormal pap smear and treat that abnormality before it turns into a cancer. And although the patient might find it annoying and have to come into the office to have these procedures, they're cured of it. Whereas ovarian cancer, in many cases, when we find it, it results in, you know, relatively aggressive surgery, chemotherapy, and many times it's even too late for those types of, of, of cures. Uh, so, you know, so ovarian cancer is a tough disease. It's hard to talk about, um, even for me on the radio, because, you know, we know that it's it's a deadly disease. But I think, you know, if you're at higher risk and you do some genetic testing and find that, then, you know, I definitely would contemplate doing, you know, twice yearly ultrasounds, our number one way to treat ovarian cancer, really, is to find it fast. So, you know, early, early screening. But again, there is no FDA-approved screening regimen. So it's that's what makes it such a tough disease.
0: Next one has to do with some skin care. I know we talked about that earlier. But this one's a little bit different. It's, I've never had acne before, and now I'm 38 and my acne is terrible.
1: What should I do? Well, I tell you, I don't know that I can cop. Susanna Marcoux and her talk uh, about skin. Okay, but what I can't tell you about acne is a lot of it is hormonal, right? We know that. I mean, inherently, I think we all know that. So we're either it's either a hormonal cause or it's it's a neglectful cause, meaning that you know your skin's always dirty. You know, we see acne more frequently, and I don't know if it's really acne or if it's just just skin difficulties in people who are working in, you know, very high temperature jobs where there might be a lot of small micro particles. For example, if you're in a, you know, a factory that, you know, is, you know, cutting a lot of, you know, materials where there's, there's, you know, stuff that's going to get on your skin or soot, you know, like if you're, you're working in places that maybe are using, you know, still type you know, blast furnaces and things like that. But, you know, just people that are in the heat and, you know, are outside all the time and they don't do good skin regimens can get and then there's the hormonal sides of acne, where you know I think when your skin is a really good indicator of, of where you are at with your health, right? What do people say all the time? You know, I, you know Marie would tell tell us too, right? I mean, don't you look at somebody and you say, oh my God, you look so healthy, You're, you know, your skin looks great, or you know, whatever. I, that is a, a very big indicator of health. It's not always perfectly accurate, but it is. I would tell you statistically pretty accurate. And the reason for that is if your metabolics are good. Your skin looks good. If you're hydrated, your skin looks better. If you, you know, if you're if you're taking care of yourself, your whole body, right? You have a tendency to be taking care of your skin as well. So all of those things apply. So from a hormonal perspective, you should definitely be worked up because you know, if, if you get, la- you know, a laboratory analysis, sometimes for OBGYN, we get ultrasounds to look at the ovarian uh, architecture to determine if there's things like polycystic ovarian, because these are the things that can affect your skin. And, you know, even a good skin regimen can't necessarily control that. So I recommend, you know, if, if um, at least seeing a, a physician about acne, you know, as a first line, as opposed to just going to the online uh, products, you know, if you could spend an awful lot of money on online products. When it's a metabolic problem, you'd probably be best off starting finding what the metabolic problem is, and then you know maybe supplementing uh, treatment of the metabolic problem with some online products or maybe even FDA approved products.
0: Right. This next question we've never got this before, and I thought it was interesting, and I I'm sure it's something that's starting to trend. But are at home enemas safe for removing toxins and helping me feel better?
1: You know these are topics i really don't particularly like to talk about mainly because we don't really know what their complete benefits are and i certainly you know i i certainly don't like to discourage uh, certain things if if people feel like they're making them better as long as they're not harmful but remember any any time that you're doing enemas on a on a regular basis right you are removing a lot of bacteria your own natural bacteria right? And you may be relying on, on something to do a natural process. You know, I'm always a little bit more proactive in saying, hey, if we want good bowel function and all of that, then probably the best thing that we can do would be to use probiotics, make sure we're replenishing the gut with the bacteria that we need to do the processes that we need. You know, as a physician, as a whole, I try to stick to the fact of if the body's process wouldn't naturally do it, is this something that we need to do for, for maintenance? And, and obviously that's not the same for every, every, everything. Like for example, you know, acne, right. You know, if the body's process, you know, metabolically is the way it is, right. But we're trying to restore a normal metabolic po- uh, process when we're doing acne. I don't think that enemas are a normal metabolic process that we should have to rely on. to to get the symptom relief that we need. I think we should do it the opposite way and try to make people a little bit more healthy with their bowel habits by using like probiotics, eating a well-balanced meal, making sure that we have the right amount of fiber, right, staying hydrated, all of those things. And I think that, you know, that would alleviate some of the need for animals.
0: Okay, I think we got time for one more question. So um, this one says, I'm still experiencing cramps and pelvic pain after menopause, why?
1: You know, First of all, there's a lot more in the pelvis. We deal with this a lot with endometriosis, right? Where, you know, we'll treat somebody for endometriosis if they're pre And then, you know, somebody will come back and say, well, you know, um, you know, I'm still having some cramping uh, with my cycle and all that. And then I always ask the first question. I'll say, is it is it like it was before? And they'll and sometimes they'll even say, yeah, it was, it, you know, I still get significant pain on, you know, day number one, but it's, it's way better than it was before our, you know, you treated my endometriosis, but I, but I still get it, you know, once or you know, month. And I would tell you that there's normal body processes that that happen that are going to give you more fullness and all that. You know, you can have GI symptoms, gas, things like that over distended bladder, maybe bladder overactivity that can cause you pelvic pain and discomfort, and sometimes that it can even be cyclic. Um, you know, and it's hard to like really time coordinate all of that if you're not having a menstrual cycle. So I would tell you there's many more things going on in the pelvis than just the gynecologic tract itself. And it may be some of those things that people are experiencing.
2: Some great information there, Dr. Zayden and Jessica, as always, a wide variety of topics. When we come back, we'll get an update from the Executive Director of Women's Excellence, Allison Darnell, what's happening at the practice? That's coming up next here on WJR. Welcome back. We'd like to close out the show today to talk a little bit about what's happening at the practice at Women's Excellence. Lots of things happening in recent weeks. And joining us again is Jessica Rousset, the Patient Outreach Coordinator. Dr. Zayden, I know that you're working working actively on so many things as a team, but you're really stressing that about your practice.
1: It's... um a different healthcare environment than it's ever been. We have a different um, mindset and we have different um, patient activities than we've ever had in the past. Um, Things are different from how people are working. They used to work nine to five, but that was really more eight to six. Now people are maybe at home. They have more flexible schedules. They have access to technology that they've never had in the past on such a wide-scale basis. Generations of people have access to technology that didn't happen before. It was, you know, certain people that were at work had this technology. And our ability to have this access to technology is in the hands of so many more um, different um patients than it ever has been in the past. So when you look at all of those factors, you're starting to see a change in how healthcare is provided, even at the level of what we call the CMS, which is is the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which really dictates how medical care is done in this country, because they set reimbursements and policies and so forth that all of the insurance companies follow. What I would tell you, is that we're looking to do more of a mobile, virtual type of practice with a patient care in office um, component when needed. And that's where I think everyone is looking down the road five years from now. What we have to do is make that transition to how do we check in now ourselves right and we're starting to see practices dabble with that using different different types of platforms and we're doing this looking at it specifically how do we do every aspect of that and then also we're looking at how do we make sure that we make each visit as efficient as possible meaning that when the visits there we're doing everything in visit that we need to do, getting their blood work, doing all of the the testing and so on and so forth that we can do at one time so that we can follow patients in a virtual way from the convenience of their own home where they can continue to work and make revenue from their job and they don't have to take a half a day off. They wanna spend their time at vacation. And so that's what we're really working on. They wanna spend their time off with, with their family, doing the things they want to do. They don't want to spend it in doctor's offices. In the past, there was no choice, but now that's what our patients really demand, and that's what we're really looking towards. It's not that we don't want to see them in the office. We absolutely do, We, but we want to make sure that we're giving the best customer care experience possible, and that's why we brought on the executive director we did, Allison, to kind of look at this from a process-driven fashion, and, and we're making progress on this every day. Of course, you know, everybody's having problems with labor shortages and supply chain issues and all of those things. We have them in medicine, too. We're backordered on some catheters that we use for specific bladder testing for over a month. That affects everybody's surgery and everything else. It's difficult, on right. patients, but it's part of what happens. And then I think, you know, Jessica could talk a little bit about, you know, some of these processes that we're doing just from uh, an online perspective.
0: Right. And, you know, even before that, with, you know, Allison coming on board back in January, her mission was to kind of revamp our whole culture, because if the culture is great at women's excellence, it's just going to transcend to our patients and to the community. And she put some guiding principles into place that with every move we make as a company, we keep these in mind. If we're rolling out a new process, if we're changing something, whatever we're marketing, we keep our guiding principles in the back of our head, So we know that we're putting our best foot forward. And I'll just touch on those really quick. The first one obviously being the golden rule, treating everyone with respect and dignity. And that's the foundation of, you know, what we stand for at Women's Excellence. Patient-centered care, you know, we've been on this show for three years now. And you can see that we truly care about our patients, you know, even with the services we offer. Every location is a center of excellence. So, you know, even though we sometimes work afar from people, we don't see all of our teammates all the time. Every one of our offices operates as women's excellence, as a center of excellence. Um, Dr. Zayden touched on this too. We work hard and we play hard. We value work life balance for all of our staff. And um, a really important one to end our guiding principles is to leave it better. And our goal is to be more involved with the community and leave everything we do, leave the office each night better than when we found it.
2: And what I love about this, Dr. Zayden, is that not just you following these uh, uh, guiding principles or your upper staff, your upper management staff, I think you you bring this all the way down to the person answering the phone or who has well, any uh, thing to do with the practice?
1: I can tell you Marie, that's 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 the challenge is that you know we' we've, we've just you know made a, a, a decision that the way we used to provide medicine in the past, it's not possible to do. We have so many more barriers. everyone knows it. Everybody knows that we have more insurance issues, more pre-authorizations, difficulty scheduling surgeries, more requirements to get a a procedure done than ever. Everybody's experienced it, no matter what field of medicine they've gone, they've experienced that. And, And we have to change, right, as a company to accommodate all those things and make better processes ourselves to get them done people don't necessarily see that on the back end but you know that changes even our employees and staff you know how they used to do their job is different and you know that can be stressful for sure but we know that one year from today two years from today and certainly 3 years from today that will make us the best company around to go to and that's where we need to be
2: And we are talking about women's excellence. Uh, Jessica Rousset, thank you as always for joining us and always Dr. Jonathan Zayden. uh, We appreciate your information and your zeal for really providing good customer service, good patient service. Thank you. We'll see you next time.